Bibles, and we'll go ahead and turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 28. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 22, just because I think it fits the context of what uh, is happening here. So, listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 7. So much the more also, Jesus became the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily those like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would fill us with your spirit, that your word will be made evident to us, that, Father, that we would come to know more about you and the life you are calling us to live through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've bitten off more than I can chew this semester. I'm taking four classes because I've been going to seminary for over a decade with a long pause in between. Uh, And so uh, I needed to take a bunch of classes this semester in order to schedule myself to graduate in May. And so uh, I'm taking Hebrew, I'm taking apologetics, I'm taking, uh, what else am I taking? I'm taking uh, history, Old Testament history and interpretation, and I'm taking spiritual warfare. I'm learning quite a bit. It's a lot of uh, heavy lifting, especially that Hebrews class, which actually comes in pretty handy in this passage, as we will see. But one of the things that I've really dove into and what I've discovered about myself is I'm, I'm a big picture guy. I'm a narrative guy. I love to dive into the details, and I love to live there, but sometimes I just, I see the scriptures in a narrative form, and maybe you could tell that by how I talk or how I often um, bring in themes and those type of things. And in my class in apologetics, apologetics is also, is obviously about truth claims, right? It's to say that God does exist. Well, cool. You can probably prove that, but to a lot of people, once they come to that truth claim and you've proven that, that, that God does exist, they still don't care. So there's this thing, this book that I've been reading called Narrative Apologetics, and it deals with that side of things. It deals with the significance of those truth claims. It's okay to say that, yes, God exists, but what about the so what? And we often come into significance only through narrative. And isn't this what we find out in the scriptures? The scriptures tell a story. It gives us the truth claims, but it tells us a story so that the significance can speak into our lives and we are drawn to it. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I believe the author of Hebrews is doing this in these specific verses. He's specifically pointing us to the fact of a truth claim. And he says, the guarantee of the new covenant, which is better, is Jesus. Truth claim. 
Well, we can, I can try to convince you all day that that is real, that is true, and I can point you throughout all the scriptures and all the testimonies throughout all of history to know that, yes, that is proven true. But what about the significance? And the author, I believe, is trying to move us, to speak into us the significance of why Jesus is better. And in order for us to arrive at this significance, he takes us through three things that I want to reveal to us this morning. One is our need for a priest. We're talking about a priest. What's the big deal about a priest? Well, in order to understand the need for a priest, or why we need a priest, we have to understand our need for the priest. Then we need to understand the kinds of priests that we often find ourselves going to or that are appointed in our own lives. And finally, what is the best? What's the best priest? And why is it so significant in our lives? So first and foremost, why do we need a priest? You know, we don't live in the ancient Near East. We don't even live in, we're not even Catholic in the sense of understanding that we have to go to a priest. We're the priesthood of the believers, right? So what is the significance of the priest? Well, here's the reality of the priest. The priest is a mediator. He's an intercessor. He is the one that brings us to God. And why do we need that? Because God is holy. He is good. He is loving. And yet we are sinful. And we need kind of a reconciliation. And so God provides a reconciliation. And he gives us priests to do that. They bridge the gap. They mediate, they mediate between God and us and bridge and that relationship, right? And the reason why we need that is because there's such a thing as sin and evil and corruption. Because a holy God cannot be in the same realm or will not be in the same realm of something that opposites him, something that opposes him. You know, love and justice is seen here. God is love. When you step into the presence of God, you are in the presence of love. But what about the evil? What about the corruption? Is, is he truly loving if he just allows it to go on? Is he truly loving if he just puts up with it? A truly loving act says, no, I'm going to get rid of it. And so there exists this cup. Jesus spoke of this cup. This cup is filled with the wrath of God over sin and evil. But there's kind of a conundrum a little bit. If God is love and these people are sinful, and these people are inviting evil and corruption into his creation that he created, and he has boiled for himself this cup of wrath that will satisfy and get rid of all evil, well, what if he pours it out on all humanity? Is that, is that a loving act? I mean, it, it, that makes things holy, but is that loving? And God is love. So you have to reconcile love and justice, that there is this cup, and so the narrative falls when Jesus is praying. He says, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. Let's do it. Because he knows what is going on. And the, as we're going to get ready to see that, the, there, are, there is nobody who can take this cup and can drink it but Jesus. And so the son, as the father sits upon his throne, overseeing all the cosmos, having this cup of wrath has to be poured out on all evil and sin and corruption. And as we'll see, there are, there are priests that are appointed that this cup should just be spilled on. But then there are priests that are appointed that are better, but it just stays his hand, but yet it's still there. 
And then there are priests that are appointed, or actually one priest that is appointed that swallows it all. And so we don't have to suffer. He suffers for us. So that's why we need a priest. We need somebody to alleviate this cup of wrath for us. And also, you can probably look at your own life, the own misery of your own life, and you can say, there's something I need outside of myself. I have tried, I have tried, to, and I've tried to find all various kinds of ways to get my life oriented in a right direction, to actually experience some level of joy and reconciliation in my life. I need something, I can't do it, and I need something outside of myself. And that something is a mediator. We all know at some point in our lives, we need something outside of ourselves. We need a mediator. And so these are the reasons, and they're just a couple, of why we need a priest. So let's look at the kinds of priests that we have. He, uh, the author of Hebrews, right here in this passage, points us to several types of priests, namely two, but one that is imposed into the scriptures. The first one is law-appointed priests. He says right here in these passages that they are appointed by the law, that these Levites, the, the line of Aaron, are dedicated to the priesthood, and they're appointed by the law, and they're established by the law. They're going to be a priestly line. They have to abide by all these laws and rules and regulations in order to maintain their priesthood. They have to offer reoccurring sacrifices and animals. And, be, and that even in and of itself proves that it was not sufficient or ineffective. But again, only stays the hand of the cup, but never satisfies the wrath of God. It is only meant to point a, or have a picture of something that ultimately is going to do the job. They have to give reoccurring sacrifices. They have to account for them, themselves. Even the Levites had to sacrifice for themselves because they were sinful. They were beset with weakness as we all are as well. They too had to pay tithes. Speaking of tithes. So they had to be self-accounting as well, not just accounting for the people and bridging their relationship with God, but also bridging their relationship with, with God the Father as well. They also offered temporary intercession, meaning because they were set with uh, weakness, because they were conquered by death frequently. You know, you had Steve rise up as a priest. Well, then Steve died. Now here comes Bob. Bob rises up as a priest, and he eventually dies. And then we have another one. And then we have another one. Then we have another one. We have more sacrifices, more sacrifices. Man, that's just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. When is this just going to be finalized? When is this going to be done? So the law appoints priests for us in the way of Levites. And many of us don't really understand this because, again, we don't live in Old Testament times. We live on this side of Jesus, which brings me back to the second type of priest, an oath-appointed priest. Notice here he, he references a uh, uh, priest appointed by law, a priest appointed by an oath. And not just anybody speaking an oath, God himself. And we look at the priesthood of what Jesus offers. This whole chapter is dedicated to this mysterious figure that we've mentioned last week, Pastor Marshall mentioned last week, and that we're mentioning even now because the whole chapter 7 deals with this order of Melchizedek, right? Who is this guy? There is four verses, literally four verses in the Old Testament that talk about this guy. And then here we are, this author of Hebrews spends a whole entire chapter with this idea 
And what he does is he says, okay, you guys are used to and understand these priests appointed by law, but let me give you this priest appointed by an oath, by God speaking himself that he will be the priest forever. See, when God says something, he's not like us. He means it. And when he says yes, it means yes. When he says no, it means no. And so when God swears by no one greater, because there is nothing greater, he swears by himself and says, this is the priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. When God speaks, things happen, and it happens for good. When he makes an oath, it's sure, and you can rest assured in that. And so God gives an oath. And so what is the, how special, and why is it Slightly better, this order of Melchizedek. Well, here, let me give you some Hebrew just because it might help me in a quiz coming up next week. Melchizedek. Melech is the Hebrew word for king. Zedek is the Hebrew word for righteous. So righteous king who comes from Salem, which also, also sounds like shalom, peace. So this figure... By his name, because names mean something back then, they named intentionally, means that there is this priest king. And I'm going to draw out the significance of that here a little bit later. But for right now, that's what's happening. Not only is he a priest, but he's also a priest and king. Because the appoint, ones appointed by the law were not kings. They weren't prophets. Their job was priest. So now... You have, by God's oath, by God's very own word, you have one who will live forever, who will be the priest, the high priest, the most high priest, and he will be a king. You will have one that does not have to intercede for himself, that there is more than enough sacrifice to go around, and he only has to do it once because he offers himself. Jesus, because he's without sin, doesn't have to take some of the sacrifice for himself. He gives himself as a sacrifice, and it's more than enough to save us from all our sin and to give us eternal life. So it's not reoccurring, it's finalized. It's once for all. There's no more sacrifice. It's one and done. There's no more, I don't have to raise more and more unblemished uh, animals and take them on the Day of Atonement. It's one and done. It's better. There's no need, again, for self-accounting. And Jesus is the one, God is the one who receives tithe, tithes. He doesn't give tithes, he receives it. And that's exactly what we see Abraham doing to Melchizedek. He gives Melchizedek a tithe. Melchizedek, being a priest king, doesn't tithe back like the Levites do. So he's even better. And he sits there, and because he, he isn't conquered by death, in fact, he defeats death, he's able to always intercede. And so you have these two types of priests, one that's law-appointed, one that's appointed by an oath, one that is reoccurring and, and beset with weakness, one that is glorified, lives forever, constantly interceding. And to the audience that the author was writing at this time, this is probably significant. They understand the contrast that he's making here. But us, we don't really know. We don't, we're not really set up with those old traditions of priest things. So let me paint a different picture, and let me point to a third priest, the self-appointed priest that we often have in our lives. 
many of us choose certain things in our lives in order to find that mediation. We don't have a, not even a priest of the law, which, was, which is okay, which was good, decent. We're, we haven't really come up with Jesus, the one that was appointed by the oath, who is the best. Instead, we, just, we settle. We settle for so many different things. Because this is what we feel. We're wanting to move on in our lives without strings attached to, our, to the bad things we've done. Where, where nothing lingers over our heads. That's the type of life, life we want to live. We want all the bad that we've done to go away. We want all to be right without fear of what might happen. We want reconciliation and we don't really want to have to buy it. Or we don't want to be lured over because we failed time and time again. All these things we want to find ourselves in. And so we self-appoint our priests in our lives. And here's where it gets sticky. So many of us appoint these all kinds of things as priests in our life. One, drink, because it alters the pain and feeling, but only until it doesn't. Have you been there? If I just... I'm so worked up. I'm so stressed out. If I can just get this drink, it'll mediate for me and calm me down. It'll subdue all that I feel. Maybe you've appointed the priest of work because it keeps you busy. It helps avoid any real personal work you need to do in relationships because your performance is the only thing that you think can buy you the life you want or the recognition you desire. In the meantime, your family and children lack the example and guidance that is needed to raise them up in the way they should go. Some of your kids have come to realize that it's more okay to spend time without Jesus and his people than committing their life living with Jesus and his people. You have given them an example of a watered-down, minimal view of life lived in Jesus and his bride. Maybe you've appointed a priesthood of being a parent. Many use your children as either the life you never got to live or to make relationship you want to have with your spouse or others. You find more joy in your children than in Jesus, and you don't discover that until they move out and they begin to live their own lives, and you realize that all you've done is postponed your own misery and loneliness. Drugs. Chemically induced, over-the-counter, temporary solution to joy, which fades and like a Levite priest, you will need it again and again and again, but you are pursuing something fake rather than the real. Sports. Like work, you find fulfillment in playing sports and dedicating your style, life, and extra time to watching it or playing it or making sure your children are fully committed to it. How easy it is to become, uh, to become uh, one who meets all the requirements of the coaches and practices in order to play the game instead of living a life building an intimate relationship with Jesus. Pleasure. Moving from one vacation to another, one partner to another, one meal to another, jumping like a frog from lily pad to lily pad on whatever will invite the feeling of joy and pleasure. You're addicted to instant gratification. No need for patience when there is pleasure at every turn. Rest. We all need rest. Even God himself rests, enjoying the work of his hands. But rest for us is also needed because we are beset with weakness. We are wearing out. Some of us are convinced that rest is achieved in recliners watching college football games on Saturday than the one who sits on a throne and watches over us. 
we quickly ignore the people and the one who brings peace and ultimate rest into our lives. Instead of finding rest in worship and God's family, we find rest in excluding ourselves from community in a good novel or a binge-worthy show. These things are not bad in and of themselves unless they become for us a more coveted leisure than we find in Jesus, his word, or his bride. Even at the mention of those things, if it causes you to, be, to have a sense of boredom or no thoughts of real rest, then the, that only points to the reality that you are really not come to a point of knowing Jesus as much as you should. Jesus is the Lord of rest and the Prince of peace. But if you are finding rest and peace in anything else than the good news that is that you get to know Jesus more, then your socks are going to be knocked off when you finally find it. The bad news is, what you think you've been offering, what you think has been offering you rest and peace really hasn't done much for you and haven't given you true rest or peace, and that stinks. I would argue that anyone who has one hand extended to Jesus and the other hand in a cookie jar of the things of this world hasn't truly tasted and seen that the Lord is the best. If you're going to see Jesus, and you're going to tell, when you're going to see Jesus and you're going to tell him all the goals you achieved, all the hard work you did, all the touchdowns you made, all the wealth you saved up, all the good things you did in your life, and he is going to blankly look at you with a stare like he's meeting a stranger because he never knew you, because you never spent time with him, you never walked with him in your life, because you walked with so many other things that were bridesmaids and not his bride. How do I know this? How can I speak about this? How can I be bold in saying some of this stuff? Is because I'm living this or I have lived this. I do not approach you, I do not come to you as somebody who doesn't know these things. Those things are from my own journal about things that the Lord has revealed through his word about my own life. And I can't believe that I'm just the only one because I know we're all beset with weakness. I will not say these things to you that I would not apply to myself. I speak firmly about these things because I because I have been given uh, myself over to these things as well. I have given myself over to every one of those things, with the maybe exception of a couple. I know what it's like to be a workaholic and to dive myself into it. I know what it's like to try to accumulate wealth. I know what it's like to take that drink because I'm overly stressed out. I know what it's like to throw myself into my children because I can't deal with any other relationships. So I'm going to mold them and shape them into a beautiful relationship that I would thrive in. I know what it's like to have my kids dive in and be fully committed in sports because I love seeing them beat the other guy on the wrestling mat because I feel like I'm a better dad. And all the while, I'm not teaching them scripture. I'm not getting into the scripture. All the while, there is this Jesus out there who wants a relationship with me and that I'm not pursuing. And it comes to the reality of what he is saying, that Jesus is better. That's what he's saying. That's what he starts out with. He goes, Jesus is better. And he's pointing to this priesthood, this idea of mediation in somebody's life, and says, Jesus is better than all that. And how many of us really believe that? We believe it if we demonstrate it. I know what it's like to sit there and watch the Tennessee Vols on a Saturday and feel like I'm actually resting. I know what it's like taking a vacation and say, oh, I need a vacation for my vacation so I can actually get some rest. Instead of believing that this is the place where we all can come together and being in community and fellowship with each other is actually rest. 
where you can speak peace into my life and I can speak peace into your life and that us loving Jesus together is actually good rest. And not just us together, but that actually when I come to God's word and I learn more about him and I invite Jesus into my life and we go deeper and deeper and deeper, that that is actually true rest and I find true peace. Because Jesus offers a peace that doesn't sedate you. He offers peace that can really dive in and says, even while you're suffering, I want to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. He supersedes what you're going through. You don't have to be numb. He goes, no, you're going to be fully awake while you're, while you're suffering. But you're going to find peace because I'm with you. I'm the Prince of Peace. I'm the Lord of Rest. And we don't even find, we, we disagree with that. I said, Jesus, that's a little boring to always be reading my Bible and, and building a relationship and praying and, and spending time with others who do, are doing the same. Like, that doesn't seem as uh, stimulating as these other things. I was pretty heavily stimulated during the Bama-Tennessee game last night. And there was no rest for me. So I wrote it down. So I, I hope that as I'm sitting here laying on my couch, eating my smoked buffalo chicken cheese dip, watching Vols game, man, this feels like rest. It's not. I'd rather be here with you guys today, right now. Because I believe that it's true rest right here. That when I step into this church and I get to see your faces and I know that if I'm struggling, you guys are going to pray for me. I know that if I'm, if I'm feeling lonely, or I know that I just, I don't feel loved, that you're going to give me not just your love, you're going to give me the love of Christ and speak that into me. That's what this whole worship service is. We're going to lift Jesus up. And I know this is painful. I know that I'm very pointed. But here's what I'm trying to do. Here's ultimately what I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying to get you to understand that the things that you think are helping you out are not helping you out. And so I want to pluck them from your life. And I want to uphold Jesus to you as a better solution. If you're a little upset, if you're hurting, it's okay. I prayed that you would see your need. And sometimes seeing our need, we have to come to an end of ourselves and really analyze the things that are in our life that would rob us of true joy, that would rob us of true peace, that would rob us of true life. Because anything outside of Christ pales in comparison. We prayed that during the offering. I'm getting you to understand, just like the Hebrews author is getting his people, his audience to understand that, guys, you have a tendency, and they were suffering, to go back to these old ways, to think that this, well, we just need to reestablish the priesthood. We need to go back to these ways of our ancestors. He goes, no, 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 no. That was a portrait. That's not better. You have Jesus. You need to live in Jesus. Jesus is the better priest. And because we don't live that, he would tell us, as I'm telling you, your self-appointed priests have a fakeness to them. They're not real. They do not help you. They do not mediate for you. They postpone the inevitable. They postpone your misery. They postpone your loneliness. They're those temporary solutions that aren't solutions at all, yet just need Jesus. 
And like I've already said, because many of us haven't tasted and seen that he is good, well then I do pray that you are brought to an end of yourself where you're starving and you're hungry and that you're begging for water and food and the only thing that's going to be there for you is Jesus. Because when you taste him, you will can, you'll be addicted to him. Because you tried it all and you just got more hungry, more starving. And he is the only thing that sustains. So Jesus is the better priest. But maybe, looking at our lives, trying to pluck those things from our, from our lives that we've pointed ourselves rather than Jesus, this is exactly why, again, we need a priest. It is for moments like that when reality hits us hard, when we realize that we've been trusting in wrong things that even logically seem good, but none of them are Jesus. And priest Jesus says, but do not fear. Come now to me and I'll redeem you. I'll give you what you've been looking for and so much more. You will have the peace that you've been longing for. Your sins will be forgiven. All will be made new. And not only that, but I will walk with you and you'll never be alone. And not only that, I will empower you to live life rightly without all the drama if you follow me. That's King Jesus. As a priest, Jesus brings peace into our lives that manifests in our relationship with God and others. As king, he steers us towards righteousness. That's Melchizedek. That is the prince, or that is the king of righteousness and a priest of peace. He's just not one offering peace to you, but he's one that says, now follow me, I can lead you like a king victorious in battle. That's why he's better. It's because he just doesn't offer sacrifice. He can also offer you sanctification. Jesus isn't beset with weakness. He doesn't die. He isn't committed to wrong living. And he's not needing forgiveness so that he can care and mediate for those who do. That's priest Jesus. Jesus isn't scared. He's not nervous, he's not fearful, he's not doubtful, he's not sketchy, and he's not lacking in anything so that he can guide those who are. That's King Jesus. A priest that isn't going to be replaced by another. There's not going to be a Steve, a Bob, a Dan, or anybody else. It's just Jesus. There's not another one. It's not going to come. It's not going to happen. It's just Jesus. He's not going to stop interceding because, oh, he's inconvenienced by a little thing called death. He conquered death. He holds the keys. He walks it around like a leash, on a leash. That's what Jesus does. So there's no end to him. He's constantly interceding and assuring us of the guarantee of his effectiveness of salvation and mediation. He's a priest that is sworn to us by God the Father by an oath, assuring us that the outcome is guaranteed. When God said, let there be light, there wasn't a debate. There wasn't like, eh, maybe. Maybe Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays will give you light. No. No option. God says light. There was light. He spoke things into existence. And God speaks again. He says, my son reigns supreme. My son is the best. Jesus offers a priesthood that takes us from law to Lord who will never leave you 
and will never forsake you. So what's the significance? What's the significance that Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant? That Jesus fulfills all you ever need? What's the significance of that? Is that the life that you might find yourself living that's incomplete, unfulfilled, longing for more, can be all met in Jesus. You can find all of those at their pinnacle in Jesus. That if you would prize and cherish Christ, your relationship with him in Jesus, that you will find that these other things, you will see that these other things don't work. And now I just need some help to get with Jesus. Jesus says, I got my spirit. I'm sending you. You're going to be empowered by it. You're going to be able to do things you thought you could never do or overcome. You're going to be able to begin living like me. It's going to be some time. So your little instant gratification desires, you need to curb a little bit. Because I'm going to walk with you for all eternity. The author here is assuming that his audience is wanting to go back because they're faced with suffering. He says, don't look back. Don't be as nostalgic. Don't think about when times seemed to be good and better. But instead, don't look back, but look up. Because the only thing that is better is there, and that's Jesus. There's a thing that I often said, I say all the time, because uh, when I was when I moved here to, uh, down to the lower 48 from Alaska, there was no football, which is what I was in, and so I had to learn this game called basketball. And I was really horrific at it, but I would sit there with all the people that, that uh, was about basketball, and um, they were quoting movies, and like the movie Hoosier, and I, in order to fit in, I had to watch the movie and whatever, but I'll never forget this quote that somebody said, good, better, best, never let it rest. So the good is better, and the better is the best. Good, better, best. Never settle, never let it rest. To the bad gets better, but the better gets the best. That's what I'm trying to encourage you with. I'm trying to get you to see, taste and see that Jesus is good. More than anything you can submit yourself to. I'm going to uh, invite Pastor Marshall up for a time of prayer or whatever he wants to do as, as a response, but I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to leave it with that. If you feel like you need to kick me in the shin or punch me in the face, I'm fine with that. You know, it's going to make me more, look like, more like Jesus, um, who got beat up too. But just know that I'm, I'm not giving you something I'm not willing to hold myself to. And there's definitely things that just this week, and you can ask my wife, or you can just ask me, I'll tell you, I ain't scared, that there's things I had to get rid of in my life because it's where Jesus just needs to fill. There's things I've been pursuing that Jesus just needs to be there. And if I don't believe that he can satisfy, then I really don't know who Jesus is. Father, I ask 
that as we might be hurting, as I might be hurting, as, as we are in, see our great need because of our failures, because of our counterfeits that we've pursued after, I pray that you reveal in our lives what we must get rid of, what we must purge, what we must get out of so that we can fill it up with Jesus. That is my greatest desire. And Father, I pray that your spirit will illuminate our minds to all those things in our lives so that we can fill them with Jesus. And we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal the greatness, the love that you have with us, that we will never be able to be divided from you because of your great love. There is no height, no depth, nor anything that will be able to separate us from you unless we pursue those other things, Father, and we run away from you. I pray that we would run towards you and find that love that we so long for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.